If you have your Bible, please turn with me to Galatians chapter 2. We're going to spend another week in chapter 2 looking at verses 17 through 21 this morning. Galatians is in the middle, almost, of your New Testament. It will also be in your bulletin and on the screen behind me, and there should be a pew Bible in front of you if you'd like to take a look at that. We've been studying the book of Galatians this spring, and this passage probably sounds familiar because we looked at it two weeks ago, uh, and as I was looking at it, I was really overwhelmed, honestly, with how much is there. And so because of that, I decided it was so much to cover that we would spend one more week at the end of Galatians 2, because in many ways, this is the heart of Paul's letter uh, to the Galatians. And so let's, we're going to spend one more week, and uh, this week we're going to focus on the end of that chapter. Uh, but if you were here a couple of weeks ago, you know that this is a continuation, and this is important. This is a continuation of Paul's discussion with Peter over table manners in verses 11 through 14. That's up on the podcast. You can go back and review that uh, if you weren't here. But in a nutshell, Peter had lost his bearings on the gospel. And uh, he he knew the gospel. He was an apostle. He believed the gospel. uh, But he was not living in light of the gospel. And so the apostle Paul confronts him and talks to him. As we saw last week, the heading in your Bible actually does us a disservice because you miss the context. But it's a continuation And it's as if Paul takes his arm and he puts it around Peter and he says, let me remind you of the gospel, Peter. And he talks to him about justification by faith, which we focused on last time in verse 16. And this week we're going to see what else he says in his conversation with Peter. So let's take a look at chapter 2, verses 17 through 21, and let's see what else Paul says to Peter about the gospel. This is God's word. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. This is God's word. Let me pray and ask God to come and help us through his spirit with this passage this morning. Let's pray. Father, we really do need your help, and so would you come through your spirit and take this passage and apply it to our hearts in a real way so that we might be changed, so that we might not be the same after encountering you in your word. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Many of you know, uh, and if not, you're about to find out, uh, I was a drug dealer before the legal kind, by the way. 
uh, I, I, was in the far, I was in pharmaceutical sales before seminary. And uh, so I spent some time in corporate America, and I remember uh, every month the dreaded sales report that would come into my inbox in my email. And I would open it up, and it would show me uh, my ranking in the district, how I ranked among the other reps in my district. And I want to be honest with you, I dreaded those days. And I dreaded those days because my heart and my mood, as I looked at those sales reports, would rise and fall based on how well I was doing and where I was ranked. If I moved up closer to that number one spot, I had an extra pep in my step. I was in a good mood. I was ready for the weekend. I was on top of the world. But boy, if I moved down a few uh, rankings, I was discouraged. And I was disappointed. And as I was experiencing this, always in the back of my mind is things that I'd read uh, and things that I'd heard in sermons over and over. You're accepted in Christ. Your identity is in Christ. It's not in what you do. It's in Him. It's not about what you do or don't do. It's about what Jesus has done for you. I had that playing in the back of my mind. And yes, That is absolutely true, but I worked in corporate America where my boss would sit across the table from me and say, you don't make these goals, you don't get the job done, then I've got 10 people waiting in line for your job. What a way to motivate. So I have that going, my gospel playing in my mind, but also I have my boss telling me, get the job done or you're out of here. I didn't want it to bother me. And I acted like it didn't bother me, but it really did. And it frustrated me more than anything. I wondered, why wasn't the gospel making its way down into my heart? Why did this bother me so badly? Why wasn't the gospel and Jesus doing a deep work deep inside my soul? Have you ever felt this way this morning? Ever felt that way? Perhaps you feel that way right now as you sit here. You see, some of us have been around the church for as long as we can remember. You can't remember a day when you didn't grow up in church. And honestly, if you're honest, some of you are very tired. You've heard all the sermons. You know all the hymns by heart. But you're cynical because you wonder why you look at your life and you're supposed to have this abundant life in Christ. But deep down, you feel alone and you feel empty and you feel dry. And you feel cynical, and if you're honest, you've been this way for a long, long time. You see, there is a gap in what you believe and what you know to be true with what you experience in your everyday life. Do you feel the gap in your life this morning? That's the question we're going to look at this morning, is how do you bridge the gap between these wonderful truths of the gospel that we hear on Sunday morning in your KC and as you're in and around the church, how do we bridge the gap between what happens here with what happens on Thursday at 4 p.m. when you open up the sales report and you realize you didn't close the deal and you dropped a couple of rankings, or at 4 p.m. on Thursday when you have blown it miserably as a parent with your children? How do you bridge the gap? The core of that is how do people change? So two things we're going to look at this morning that will enable us to face the gap in our lives with honesty 
but also to move forward with hope. And those two things, this is your outline for you note takers. The first one is repentance. We're going to talk about what that means. And secondly, faith. Repentance and faith. Let's look at number one, repentance. Look at verse 19. For through the law, I died to the law. Remember, I died to the law we looked at a few weeks ago. Paul just means by that phrase, I died to the law, that the law can't save me. The law cannot rescue me. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. That doesn't sound shocking to us. We tend to say, okay, let's move on to the next verse. Don't move on to the next verse. Think about this with me. Paul is a Jewish man, and he's talking to other Jews who have for a thousand years looked at the law of God as the thing that sets them apart, as the way that they are acceptable before God. And Paul looks at them. This would have been shocking. If we were in a courtroom, this would have been objection. (laughs) Paul says, I died to the law through the law. So that I might live for God. What does Paul mean? This is what we're going to focus on in that verse. He died through the law. Well, he explains in another one of his letters to the Romans in verse, in chapter 7, Paul says this, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. And then he gets real specific. I would have not known what coveting was if the law had not told me do not covet. Paul means that he was trying to obey the law and then he came to see and fill in everything that Martin said in the confession of sin. That it was more than just obeying externally, but it had to do with his heart. And when Paul got that, he realized that it was impossible. And he came to see what he is saying here is he thought he was alive until the commandment came and crushed him and actually put him to death. It's through the law this is, this is important too. Paul doesn't go around the law. Paul doesn't minimize the law, but he faces the law head on. And when he faced it head on, he saw the gap in his life and he saw his desperate need for a savior. Let me illustrate this way. I learned recently that uh, due to the Ebola virus scare in uh, airports in Asia and Africa, they installed fever scanners. Everyone that was getting on the airplane, if you had a fever, you were scanned. If you had a fever, you did not get on the plane. The fever scanners revealed the sickness. But the airports would be crazy and foolish to think that the fever scanner could actually heal the sickness. The fever scanners revealed the sickness. They did not heal the sickness. The same is true with the law. The law acts like a fever scanner is what Paul is saying. It shows you that you're spiritually sick and that you need to be rescued and that you need a savior. You see, the law reveals and points you to Jesus as the only one who can bridge the gap in your life and heal your sin-sick heart. You see, it's impossible. It's entirely possible, friends, For us to come in here on Sunday mornings and to ignore the gap or not be bothered by it at all. It's possible to come in here every Sunday morning and our knee-jerk reaction is to say, Yeah, I got my church in. I'm good. 
It's possible to come in and not to connect what happens here on Sunday morning with your Monday through Saturday. It's possible to come in here and to put up a wall between your faith and your life. And to constrict Jesus to this one little area of your life and you say, everything else is mine, but you can have Sunday mornings. And you never, when you do that, you never allow Jesus to threaten you. You never allow him to threaten your way of doing things in your life. And if you do that, then you will never think about the gap. You will never think about the gap. You will ignore it. And if you do that, that is a very dangerous place for you to be. Because you see, feeling the discomfort of the gap and Coming to the end of yourselves is not a bad thing. We think that's a bad thing. The Bible says that is a good thing, and that is part of the normal Christian life. The Bible calls that repentance. Seeing the law, and the law bringing you to the end of yourselves and showing you the gap between who God's called you to be and who you really are. And then after seeing that, turning and running to Jesus, your Savior who is your only hope. Friends, people cringe when they hear the word repentance, because we think of the billboards going down to the beach that say turn or burn. Or we hear repentance and we think of the street preacher uh, screaming at us to repent. But did you know that one of the greatest assurances that you are actually alive spiritually, it's not your record of success. It's not how good you are and how good you're doing and how much you're reading your Bible. You know one of the surest signs that you're alive spiritually is that in the midst of your failure, you turn and run to Jesus and repent. You know what happens when a a newborn, a baby is born in the hospital. What does the doctor do? He takes the baby and he gives the baby an APGAR test. Why does he give the baby an APGAR test or she give the baby an APGAR test? Well, because they want to make sure the, the baby is alive and well and healthy. And so they check the, the, the color of the skin and the heart rate and how the baby is breathing. Well, you want a spiritual APGAR test? Here it is. Are you repenting? One of the surest signs that you are spiritually healthy and alive is that you are repenting. And it's not a one-time thing when you become a Christian and you are converted. Repentance, as Martin Luther says, repentance is all of life. All of life is repentance. And here it is, in this moment, when you see the gap in your life on Thursday afternoon at 4 o'clock, it's in that moment that who you think God is, in your view of God, It's in that moment that who God is to you makes all the difference in the world. And what do I mean by that? Well, think about it. If you see that gap in your life, and if you're spiritually healthy, we're all seeing the gap, and it's not a bad thing, who who do you think God is? Is God someone to you who's going to crush you? Shame you? Make you pay? If that is the case, then you'll ignore the gap. You'll you'll suppress the gap or you'll look to something else in the world in order to heal you and in order to bridge the gap. But on the other hand, if like the Bible says, if 
God to you is someone who is kind and merciful and abounding in steadfast love, when the law shows you the gap in your life, it will lead you to repentance and it will push you towards Jesus, not away from him. That's why the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, one of my favorite verses, it's the kindness of God that leads you to repentance. Look at verse 20 in our passage. Paul says something similar. Did you notice how personal this was? God who loved me. God who died for me. See, Paul knew how good and gracious God was. Many of you know Billy Graham died recently, and it brought lots of media coverage. And in his funeral, they had lots of testimonies about Billy Graham. Well, one of the testimonies that uh, struck me, and I, I hope I can get through it, I've watched it about half a dozen times, and I haven't made it yet, so we'll see. His daughter, Ruth Graham, gets up and she says, I want to tell you a story about my father. And after 21 years of her marriage, her marriage ended. If you know her story, you know that it ended. It was a very hard marriage, and she was completely devastated and felt like the rug had been pulled out from under her. Her parents and others in her life uh, had the idea that she should move away uh, and get a new start. And so she decides to move uh, close to her sister, and she starts going to church with her sister, and the pastor of the church introduces, in her words, to a handsome young widower. And they began to date fast and furious. Her children didn't like him. But she thought, what do they know? They're almost grown and out of the house. This is my decision. Her father called from Tokyo and says, Ruth, slow this down. Uh, Get to know him. Let us get to know him. Her mother called from North Carolina saying, a very similar thing, and her thought was, what do they know? They've never been single. They've never been divorced. And so she says, being stubborn and willful and sinful, I decided to marry this man on New Year's Eve, and within 24 hours, I realized that I had made a terrible mistake. She said it lasted five weeks, and then she got in the car and ran as fast as she could away from him. She had nowhere to go, and she wanted to talk to her mom. She wanted to talk to her father. It was a two-day trip to North Carolina. And as she was driving, the questions were rolling in her mind. What was I going to say to Daddy? What was I going to say to my mother and to my children? I've been such a fool. I'm embarrassed. I'm a failure. Surely they are tired of fooling with me, she thought. She said, you know, it's one thing to, she says, when you're uh, a a daughter, you don't want to disappoint your father. But she said, you definitely don't want to disappoint Billy Graham. And she says, as she was going up the side of the mountain, you know, they lived on the side of a mountain, and she's going up this mountain, and as she rounds the last curve, there's her father at the end of the driveway waiting for her. He opens up the car door and gets out and he puts his arms around her and says, welcome home. No shame, no condemnation, no blame. And then she says this, 
My father was not God. But he showed me what God was like. See, we can come with our shame. We can come with our brokenness and our failure. And God, this God, says, welcome home. That will make you want to obey. That will make you want to repent when you see the gap in your life. And my question for you this morning, is that what, is that what your God is like this morning? Do you have a God that says, welcome home? Or do you have a God that says, get out of here, you're not good enough? Friends, the answer to that question will make all the difference in your life. It will make all the difference on Thursday at 4 p.m. when you see the gap. Secondly, faith. We close the gap, number one, by repentance once we see the gap, but also by faith, by locking on to Jesus by faith. Look at verses 17 and 18 with me. I don't have time to get into these verses the way I want to get into these verses. But let me frame it this way, and I think it'll make this section make sense to you. It did for me. Paul is responding here to a charge that's been levied levied by his opponents, by these Judaizers that we've been talking about throughout our series. And so we are actually hearing one side of the argument from Paul. But they basically said, you need Jesus. Yes, Jesus is good, but you also need works of the law. And then Paul answers that charge in verse 16, that was two weeks ago, by saying you are justified by faith alone, not by works of the law. And so Paul says, no, that's legalism, and the gospel's not legalism. The gospel's Jesus plus nothing, not Jesus plus works of the law, The gospel is grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone. And then you can imagine the charge then from the opponent says, well, wait a minute, if you start teaching grace like that, that your works don't matter, that's promoting sin, Paul. That's just giving people a license to go out and do whatever they want. You see, that's the charge. That's the second charge. And if you look at your passage, Paul says, At the end of verse 17, certainly not. And then he goes on and works out his logic in verse 18. Look at verse 18. And I want to use the message. That's Eugene Peterson's translation. He puts it in everyday language, which I think helps make, makes this verse clear. But listen to how he uh, says this verse. He says, if I were still trying to be good, I would be rebuilding the same old barn that I tore down. Here's what he means. Is there, this is Paul, he's saying, is there a danger to grace? Absolutely. Will people abuse grace? Absolutely, we all do. But if you tried to fight that danger by reestablishing the law, then I would be rebuilding the same old barn that I tore down. Don't miss this. Because this is how we tend to fight the dangers of grace in our culture today. People start getting a little bit too far over and start to abuse grace. And we think, man, we got to bring the hammer. And we got to straighten people out and get them to change. And you know the way we do it? We do it by reestablishing the law. Jesus plus something and Paul says, no way. I won't do that. 
You see, Paul here is saying that if I bring the law as a corrective, legalism, or if I live as if Jesus don't matter, license, go do whatever ever you want, neither one of those is the gospel. You've missed the gospel entirely. The gospel is not legalism or license. Those are two thieves of the gospel, legalism and license. You see, Paul is saying the gospel is not legalism and it's not license. The gospel is a whole new way. The gospel is a different thing entirely. And so what is Paul's gospel? What does he put right at the core of his gospel that God has revealed to him? Look at verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. You see, at the core of Paul's gospel is this thing that we call union with Christ. What do we mean when we say that? Well, here it is. If you are a Christian and you put your faith in Jesus, it means that you are so united to Jesus that whatever is true of Jesus is now true of you. If you are a Christian, by faith, whatever is true of Jesus is now true of you in God's sight. And if you're not picking your jaw up off of the floor, then you are not listening. It's mysterious. It's hard to understand. Paul actually had to invent a new word to describe the reality. The phrase crucified with in the original language, which is the Greek, didn't exist before Paul used it. It was so unique what had happened to him because of Jesus that he had no words for it. He invented a whole new uh, vocabulary. And he says, this is so amazing what Jesus has done for me that I don't know any other way to describe it than to make up a new word. Another way we could describe or define union with Christ, you are in Christ, you are hidden in him, but Christ is also in you. Look at verse 20. You are in Christ, and Christ is in you. Verse 20 uh, says that. And so how is Christ in you? This is a different sermon, but short, uh, to sum it up, he's in you through the Holy Spirit. And listen to what Sinclair Ferguson, how he defines this. I love this. Having the Holy Spirit in you is the equivalent, indeed the very mode, of having the incarnate, obedient, crucified, resurrected, and exalted Christ indwelling us so that we are united to him as he is united to the Father. Amen. Let's go home. That is amazing. If you are a Christian, or as Paul would say, he uses in Christ, that's how he talks about being a Christian, in Christ, that You are so hidden in Christ that now the defining truth of who you are is Jesus. That your life and your story are now hidden in his story. And then the question becomes, so how do you tap into that reality? Jason, how do I tap into that if you're saying that's inside of me through the Holy Spirit? Verse 20. By faith in the Son of God. See, union with Christ, in order for it to work in our lives and to be powerful in our lives, we have to tap into it by faith. What is faith? One way of describing faith is faith is your identity in Christ. 
Finding your identity in Christ. Faith is the gift from God that allows you to take hold of the fact that God has taken hold of you. Faith is the gift of God that allows you to take hold of the fact that God has taken hold of you. And so stop and think about that with me just for a moment. I mean, this is some rich stuff. And we have to think. You are in Christ and Christ is in you. Do you realize right now that you're carrying around those kinds of resources in your life? Oftentimes as Christians, we live such defeatist lives. And then think about that Christ is in you. What are you going through this morning? Christ is mine forevermore. Could there be a more perfect song to introduce our message this morning? What are you going through this morning? The fact that you are united with Christ the way Paul has talked about means that you're not alone. That you have the obedient, incarnate, crucified, resurrected, and exalted Christ living in you. And it also means uh, that if you're a Christian, that you can't remain the same. Because you have something new at work in you. Something has changed inside of you and is now changing you, making you more holy and more like Jesus. Think about it this way. I heard a pastor describe uh, this uh, using Batman and Spider-Man. Think about those two superheroes. Batman is rich and he's strong and he has lots of cool gadgets, but how does he gain his superpowers? They tend to stem from external possessions. Spider-Man... He has some cool things, uh, uh, accessories too, but his, he's a superhero. Why? Because of the spider powers that he obtained by how? By being bitten by a radioactive spider. His nature has changed. And he now has a new power accessible to him from within him. Christ in you makes you more like Spider-Man than Batman. Something from the outside called the Holy Spirit has invaded your life and entered you and changed your very nature. And you now have a power that you didn't have before. I know the analogy breaks down because Spider-Man becomes something more than human. Christ enters you and makes you fully human, makes you everything that you were created to be and makes you more and more into his image. And some of you, maybe right now, you're thinking, okay, that sounds really good, Jason, but I sure don't feel like Christ is in me. I don't feel that there's this new kind of power. I don't feel like I'm, I'm becoming more like Jesus. I see the gap, and honestly, it discourages me. This is very important. Friends, growth in the Christian life is not a straight line onward and upward. It often, it seems like a roller coaster of up and down. Becoming like Christ and growing in the Christian life often feels very downward, And it takes an entire lifetime. Let me give you another word picture. Imagine a little boy who's wearing his father's white dress shirt. Really young. Let's say three or four years old. He's fully clothed. He's fully covered. But he's still a little boy. And he still has to grow into his new clothing and his new covering until it fits him. In the same way... We already are completely clothed in Christ. Fill in everything that we talked about from our sermon two weeks ago on verse 16. You're already completely clothed. 
You completely have the righteousness of Christ, but life in Christ is one of growing into that new reality until it fits you. And notice that you're not striving to obtain it. You already have it. You are striving to lay hold of what is already yours in Jesus. Striving to grow into that new reality. What is the new reality? You are in Christ, and Christ is in you. That that power of Jesus in you is already yours. And oftentimes when we see the gap in our lives, and we're Thursday afternoon at 4 o'clock, you know what we normally think? i got to get to work. I gotta, I gotta be more disciplined. My first question is, God, what do you want me to do? Because I gotta do something. Paul never starts that way. Read the, read all of his letters. Paul always starts not with what you are to do, but Paul starts with remember who you are. Remember who is inside you. See, we begin to close the gap in our lives when we fix our heart thoroughly on the certainty of who we are in Jesus and what Jesus says about us. Friends, the answer to closing the gap in your life is not to go looking for a better power source or a new power source. We often do these things. Or to go looking for a more emotional experience. Or to go looking for a more lively praise and worship service so that you can feel it. Or to be more disciplined or need have an additional gift or to get some second blessing of the Spirit. Those are the things we do. We go looking for a different silver bullet. And Paul says, I'm not wishing for anything extra for you. Paul is saying, I want you to get what you've got. So how do you change? How do you close the gap between what you believe And Thursday afternoon at 4 p.m. when you blow it. Or when you're so discouraged you don't know what to do. Well, it involves seeing the gap. And acknowledging the gap. Not ignoring the gap. And then repenting and throwing yourself on the mercy of Jesus. And then by faith, locking in. And remembering who you are in Christ. You are in Christ and Christ is in you. And friends, it often feels like three steps forward and five steps back. Welcome to the Christian life. It often seems very mundane. But it is two things. Repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. Over and over and over and over again. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful this morning that you have united us to you. That you have taken your spirit and put inside of us. Forgive us this morning for depending on our own resources to close the gap that we feel and see in our lives. Forgive us for trying to change ourselves. Lord, this morning we ask that you would bring the Holy Spirit, to make real what Jesus has done for us so that we might grasp all that we have in Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.